Well, today, I'd like to kind of close us out by telling you a story. It's a semi-short story, and then I got a short video. Notice I said short twice. That's my Christmas gift to you guys uh, today. But I'd like to tell you a, a short story. It's one of my favorite missionary stories of growing up. It was just one of those stories that really impacted me, and I'm not going to do it justice. Uh, you have to read the book, and I'll tell you where you can get the book and everything afterwards if you're interested in it. But uh, it's just one of those, those stories that just really connected me to, uh, to, to the Christmas story, to the love that God has for his people poured out through his son, Jesus. Before we get there, how many of you remember, you probably have to be 30 years or older to remember this at all, but how many of you actually had globes, like a physical globe in your house, a globe of the earth? Yeah? Some of you young ones still might have one. I don't know. Now you look up, you know, you just look at Google Earth. But, you know, back, you know, when I was young, we, before video games and we were bored, we got the globe out, we spun it as fast as we could. Do you remember those days? And you'd pull out your finger and you go, and you'd stop the globe, and uh, wherever you stopped it is where you lived. Yes, we did this for hours, and it was fun. <laughs> I live in, you know, and we just figure out all the different places we're going to live one day, and 90% of the time, where did you end up living when you spun this globe? In the Pacific Ocean. That's right, Vern. You've lived up in the, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. So you can imagine the surprise of this young Canadian couple when they found out that they were moving actually to, you know, out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. There was a man named Don Richardson, and he studied at the Prairie Bible Institute and the Summer Institute of Linguistics. And in 1962, he and his wife, Carol, along with their seven-month-old baby boy, moved to West Papua, Indonesia. And they moved there to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Sawi tribe. Now, the Sawi were virtually, they were an unreached tribe. They were virtually just, just totally um, isolated from the rest of the world. And they were known, and there's a good reason they were isolated, because they were known to be headhunters and cannibals. I know, it sounds like a great Christmas story, doesn't it? Already, yeah. Never heard about, you know, Christmas and cannibals all in the same sentence before. It's going to be a good one. So it was at a great risk of, of violence, a great risk, uh, not to mention of, of like health hazards of malaria and dysentery and, and uh, hepatitis, all these different diseases and just being isolated from modern medicine that, you know, it was great risk to themselves that the Richardson family moved to live among the Sawai to bring them much needed medicine, to bring them tools, and most importantly of all, to bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Working eight to 10 hours a day, Don labored intensively trying to learn the Sawi language. Uh, and it was not an easy language to learn. Me, at the end of high school, I was happy to know what a verb was. Don Richardson had to learn 19 tenses for every single verb in order to learn the Sawi language, which just totally blows my mind away. And so you can imagine his excitement as he was learning the language day after day, just pouring himself into these linguistic studies for that one moment when they can finally share the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ uh, to the Sawi in their own tongue. What an amazing, uh, you know, what an amazing time that will be. And everyone, you know, pastors and missionaries and you guys, we're all in the same boat. I think we, we dream of that moment, you know, where we have an audience of, uh, like Jonah had. Jonah was a, he was a disobedient prophet. He had an awful message, I mean, doom and gloom, and I mean, it just seemed like a bad scenario to be sharing with people, you know, he didn't really build relationship or anything like that, but when he shared, the whole city responded, and you know, they repented of their sin and responded to the message that God had given him to bring to them. 
And so every missionary dreams of that moment, finally sharing the gospel and just seeing people just flocking to the altar to, to the Lord and, and just turning over their lives to Christ. But it was not to be so for the Richardson. The Richardsons, they shared the gospel, and it was to their utter astonishment, their amazement, that after they told the story and just poured out their hearts to the Sawley, that the hero of the story was Judas, not Jesus. I'll say that again. You might wait, hold on a second there. The hero of the story was not Jesus. It was Judas. See, in the Sawi tribe, in their culture, uh, treachery was something that was, uh, well, let me, let's put it this way. For a warrior to be a warrior was not enough for him to, to be able to just go and, and kill somebody. That was not enough. Treachery was idealized. A true hero, a true warrior was someone who wouldn't just rely on just brute strength, but was use his cunning and his intellect and, and trickery and all these other kind of forms of manipulation to find someone, their enemy, make their enemy believe that they were f- their friend and get them close, and then they would betray them to death. That was, that was what was was put up on a pedestal. Those were the kind of warriors that were sung about, that became legends in their own time. Treachery was idealized. Now, needless to say, a gospel that does not have Jesus Christ at the center of it has no effect. It is worthless. The people who saw Judas as a hero, they're not going to get any better. And as you can imagine, the violence did not get any better, and the violence only started getting worse and worse and worse. And here is Don and Carol Richardson with their seven-month-old baby boy, probably a little older now, their little baby boy living amongst the Sawai with this violence going on all around them, village against village, just fighting and betraying. They just see it. It breaks their hearts. And so Don went to the Sawai, and he said, We want to be here with you. We want to bring you medicine. We want to give you tools. We want to help you. But we can't do that as long as there's violence. We're going to leave. And the Sawai, they loved the Richardsons. They didn't want to see them leave. They wanted them to stay. They were actually fighting over them. Who got to be the closest with them? And so the Sawai were talking about, and they said, okay, Don, what we're going to do is we're going to, as they said, I think it was, uh, we are going to sprinkle cool waters on each other which means to make peace. We're going to sprinkle cool waters on each other tomorrow. So Don, he didn't quite believe it. He thought they were just, you know, pulling his chain, that they were just going to make a show of it to make them think that they had peace. But no one had peace that night. There was a tension that was building. How are these villages in the Sawi tribe, how are they going to make peace with each other after years and years of betrayal, of making each other think that they're their friends and then, and then killing each other? How are, are they going to, to bring peace from all of that? How can they bring peace to that situation? There's no way. Don thought it was absolutely impossible. It's not going to happen. In fact, this was a powder keg waiting to go off. You're bringing these, these two uh, villages together that hate each other, that are enemies, that thrive on, on betrayal. What's going to happen? It's just going to blow up. So from the vantage point of his home that next day, Don and Carol were able to watch and see the events that unfolded before them. 
They were able to see this whole thing. And again, it was just the tension that was building and building. It's almost like the, the animals and just everything, the environment around them knew what was going on. And everything was just still and quiet. No one moved until one man named Mahin, he came walking down the road. And on his back, he carried his son. He was walking towards the enemy village. He was walking. He was going to go and make peace. Everybody watched him. They were silent. Didn't know what was going to happen. It was silent except for the wells of the boy's mother who saw what was happening. And she, she started screaming. She started yelling. And she ran after Mahina and was like, no, no, you can't take my baby boy from me. You cannot take him. Give him back. And with the strength that only mothers know that you love your children, you will not let anyone take them from you. That strength, she took the boy and took him out of the, the father's grasp and ran with him to safety. The tension continued to build. Was there going to be peace? How is there going to be peace? Another man, Sunal, he was holding his baby boy in his hand. Cheerfully, he raised him up and he handed him to his brother and said, here, take my baby boy with you. I can't bear to do it on my own. You take him and you bring him to the other village. And Sinal's brother took the baby and started walking down the pathway to the other villagers until Sinal couldn't take it. He couldn't bear the sight of his little baby boy being brought away from him. And it just tore him up. It broke him. And he couldn't take it anymore, and he jumped up, and he ran after him, and he said, Stop, stop. I changed my mind. I can't give my baby boy. And so he took his baby boy back into his arms. Tension continued to mount and to build. Was there to be peace? How was there going to be peace? How? There must be peace. Another man named Kao was standing there, and he looked down, and next to him was his own baby boy, playing on a grass mat, smiling, doing little baby boys do, laughing and playing. And he knew there must be peace. And he took up his baby boy. And unlike the other men who had other children, Kao, this was his only son. No other children at all. He took his only son, picked him up, and started carrying him to the other village. He walked. Walked. And everybody just watched him walking to the other village. He got there. And the other villagers saw him coming. And they met him out out in the open area, and they came out, and he said, here, and he offered him his baby boy. And they received that baby boy and said, it is enough. Let there be peace among us. He looked his enemies in the face and gave them his son. Don Richardson didn't understand what he saw unfolding right before him. And he asked them, what, what just happened? What, what did you just do? Why did you have to give your son to your enemies? And the Sawi looked at Don and said, Don, you wanted peace. You want peace. And don't you know that there cannot be peace without a peace child? 
for as long as that baby lives, there will be peace between us. As long as that baby lives, if there is a wrong committed, a sin done, you can plead the name of that peace child. You can plead the name of that peace child and have it forgiven. And all of a sudden it clicked in Don's head. What an amazing redemptive analogy that God had built into that godless, seemingly godless culture. He did not leave himself without a witness and a testimony to what God had done to reach out to his people. Again, many of you are probably thinking, I can't believe he's talking about cannibals and Christmas. Right after a Christmas play, what on earth is going on? What he's thinking? I'll tell you what I'm thinking. I think it is easy for us to sanitize the Christmas story. I think it's easy for us to think that it was easy for God to give his peace child to us. To look at the Christmas story and look at all the figures, the the shepherds and the kings and, and even Mary and Joseph, I dare say that each one of them was an enemy of God as well. And that God looked us all, all of his enemies in the face and willingly gave us his son. Don Richardson was able to use this cultural redemptive analogy to share the gospel with many of us all, to tell them about how the amazing thing is that their peace relied on a, a child, and as long as he lived, there would be peace. And that God gave us his peace child, who lives forever, and that we can have a lasting peace with God, and we can have a lasting peace with each other because of God's peace child. And 50 years later, to this day, the Sali continue to live in peace with each other because of that message. Don Richardson had a quote, and I liked it. And he, he later on wrote, he said, if a man would actually give his own son to his enemies, that man can be trusted. Amen? God can be trusted. I thought it was fitting today that we close up, like I said, with a short video. And it's of a little boy who called into a, a Christian radio station based out of Houston, and he was struggling with life. And I don't know if he meant to do this, but he ended up sharing the gospel in, in the way that only a, a young boy could, and all the innocence and sweetness, and just it's just one of the, it made me cry. It didn't make some of the guys up in the sound booth cry as much. They think I'm a sissy. But it makes me cry every single time that I listen to it because it's just this boy is pouring out his heart and tells the gospel in the process of it. And so we're just going to close with that today. Uh, so if we can go ahead and start that up, that would be great. Hey, Mike, can I talk to you? You bet, Logan. What's up? I want to tell you something that God just told me. Okay. Last night, my dad was roping this calf. And this calf had been born from a really old cow. She she didn't have really the greatest milk. She didn't have, like, the vitamin C and stuff. Okay. Hold on. Mom? So cute, I guess, his mom talking to you. I'm talking right now. I'll be up in a second. But sorry about that. But anyway, she broke her back. 
And this morning I went out and put her down myself. I was talking to God. I was asking God why she was special. And God said, you know, Logan, but my son was special, but he died for a purpose. It's kind of the same thing. That calf was close to me, and God's son was close to him. Logan, you're, you're so right. It's true. Think you're going to be okay? Yeah, I'll be fine. But I just wanted to tell you guys that that is so important. Just remember, when you lose a loved one or a pet, Always remember that God gave his son too, and he understands. He will always understand. He will always just run to him. Logan, you're wiser than you know, buddy. Oh, sometimes I don't think I'm wise. Trust me, I've done a lot of stupid stuff, but I've learned from it. Yeah, but see, buddy, that's what makes you wise, somebody that learns from their mistakes. I just figured I'd better call and share with you guys. Love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye-bye. God understands, and we can trust him.